This is FBG Jen. And FBG Kristen. And I'm FBG Margot, host and producer. You're listening to the podcast that will help you keep a lid on the junk in the trunk and inspire you to live a happy and confident life. Each episode, we chat with motivational experts and celebs and share our own candid adventures in being healthy. If you're looking for a podcast that's equal parts hilarious and enlightening, well then welcome to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. We're happy to say that Veridesk is a proud sponsor of the Fit Bottomed Girls podcast and our go-to choice for an active workspace. Veridesk quickly and easily transforms your desk into a standing desk, and you can try it all risk-free for 30 days with free shipping both ways. Find out more at veridesk.com. That's V-A-R-I-Desk.com. Welcome back to the Fit Bottomed Girls podcast. This is FBG Margo, and on the line today, we have Jen. Hey. And we have Kristen. Hi, guys. And gang, we got ourselves another iTunes review. So if you love the show, please be sure to subscribe. And also, if you're, especially if you're an Apple podcast, if you could leave us a review, and I know they don't make it easy, but if you could do that, that would be amazing. Because for some reason, iTunes checks on your downloads, but it also checks on how many reviews you have. So if we get a bunch of reviews in there, we'll get a little more standing and stuff like that. And that would just be, make the show even more awesome than it is. But I don't know how we can make the show more awesome. Do you guys? Well, well, I mean, how cool would it be to see like such a body positive female empowerment podcast like top of the charts? Yeah. How cool would that be? That's what I want to see. So I'm going to read you guys our review today. It's Yabaka and she's from the USA. And she says, Kristen, Jen and Margo hit the mark every time for me. They expertly weave humor, fun, practical tips, great guests and real conversation. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and this is by far my fave. So uh-huh. I know, short and sweet. Thank you so wow. much. Yeah, I like that she said expertly because I still feel like I have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> at any given time. That's the real part, Kristen. That's the real part. Yes, real I've got down. <laughs> Which is funny because today our our guest is Lori Rice, and she is an expert on beer. She actually teaches Beer 101, and and I was telling you guys off the air when we did the interview, you say the IPA every once in a while in the interview, and I actually had to Google it while you were talking because I'm not the big beer drinker. I I like it once in a while, but... You played that off well, Margo. (laughs) I just kept my mouth shut. That's what, you know... Most of the time in life, that will save your butt. So um, she talks today. So Lori, by the way, has just a beautiful website, and she has a gorgeous book that's out right now called Food on Tap, Cooking with Craft Beer. So she's talking about that today. And one of the things that that got her inspired was she loved food always, and she loved to travel, but she was, I believe, in Germany when she really discovered her her love of food and beer and how they can all kind of work together. And that's one of her favorite places to travel. And so I wanted to ask you guys, like, where do you love to go to travel? travel and enjoy the food and stuff like that where are your favorite places sure okay so I feel like I've I've been to oh uh, sorry I just had another thought I was like I thought I already had my answer and then something else just came to me so hold on Kristen do you want to talk are you going to talk about Italy I can but um I also was thinking I would talk about Hawaii so okay okay so so if you want Italy go for it well, I have other places too, but I, I think it should just be said like there's amazing food in Italy and yeah. wine's like super affordable <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's good. So yeah. anyway, that's kind of, that's kind of my gist on Italy, but there I have, so I have three other places that really have kind of like 
blown my mind um, with cuisine and and drink. My husband and I honeymooned in Sonoma. And before that, like my only intelligence when it came to wine involved wine bottles that had animals on them. <laughs> so like yellowtail, little penguin, like anything that was like $8 and less and had an animal on it, I like knew. And that was pretty much the extent of my wine knowledge. And then we went, but I, but I liked it. I liked the whole culture of wine and the different tastes and I liked the different grapes and everything. So I started learning about it. We went to Sonoma on our honeymoon and tried, I mean, just amazing Zinfandels and, and other wines there. And also that was in 2007 also got a really good flavor for something that wasn't happening in my hometown of Kansas City that much of the time, or at least not on a mainstream level, which is more of kind of the farm to table movement. And all the all the food that we ate in Sonoma was just, I mean, it was it was California. You know what I mean? It was so fresh and so good, but simple and beautiful and vibrant. And it was always with, you know, a glass of wine. And that's, I remember us coming back and being like, that's how I want to cook. Like, that's how I want to eat. That's how I want to feel. That's awesome. And so um, that kind of really defined a lot of my like very early pre-FBG, like interest in, in food and cooking and in wine. And then since then, obviously I've been to Paso Robles, like three times now and I would like go every other week if I could because <laughs> mm-hmm. I I love the wine culture and I love oh, the landscape is just beautiful it's hills and it's ocean and it's cool and it's warm and it's foggy and it's just it's perfection so I and I love the wine and they're doing some amazing things with wine there that um, they've always been doing a lot of like kind of French style stuff but they're doing um, new stuff too and different grapes and Spanish grapes and Tempranillo and Albarino and all this other kind of awesome stuff so California like near and dear to my heart but recently, last spring, I went on a trip to Charleston, South Carolina for, it was a paid trip with Marshalls, and I had the best freaking food. I'm gluten-free, and I remember they set up, we're like, here are some suggestions for, you know, gluten-free restaurants, and I went and had, I don't know, like, people think about, like, oh, Southern being, like, gluten-free friendly, incredibly gluten-free friendly, and everything I had was delicious. The seafood was good. The collard greens were good. The grits were good. More farm-to-table stuff. I got to go to um, Sean Brock's restaurant, which I'm blanking on the name right now, um, Husk, Husk. And it was, like, such a simple meal and actually not even that expensive, but just an such an elevated dining, like, food experience with flavors and heirloom tomatoes and oysters and bourbon and oh my god if you love food go to Charleston that's really the main point it's so good it's so like even thinking about it it still makes me angry because I get so angry when things are good for some reason it's a weird reaction but you want to be there my god Sean Brock's Husk restaurant is just making me so angry it's so good if you're there you should go okay Kristen what about you sorry I'll just continue to be angry over here Um, well, so I had, and I can't remember if I've talked about it on here. I feel like probably I have, but in Italy, I had some really phenomenal foodie adventures and I agree like the, the wine culture there is incredible. We got to um, go truffle hunting and like make stuff using the truffles that we found. Um, like we made not, not make stuff. We made a three course meal plus dessert, um, Mm -hmm. using the truffles in the three courses. Like it was it was incredible and you know everything is made from scratch and it takes a couple hours to make it and a couple hours to eat it and that was 
that was pretty amazing. But, you know, I feel like everybody realizes that Italy is known for food and wine and it's really good. One of the places, though, that I've been that I've, I mean, I've just been blown away over and over by the food is Hawaii. I went for the first time, uh, my husband and I went for our 10-year anniversary in 2014, and we did just like, like we had saved up for a long time. We did kind of a baller trip, and we had, there were a couple of restaurants that I wanted to go to, and we went to, we went to a few different islands, and one of them was the beach house on Kauai, and it was just like, I mean, we just got like the specials, like what, I don't even remember what they were, but it was like, whatever the seafood specials were, we got that, we got their recommended appetizer. I was like, you guys know what you're doing, lay it on me. And it was, it was just incredible. And, you know, I mean, it was probably caught a couple hours before we ate it. And then the next place we went, I mean, not like the next day or anything, but the the really big one was on Lanai. We went to Nobu, which I know they have, you know, multiple places but not not near me in Florida and oh my gosh you guys I like eating my favorite thing in the world is to just like eat do small plates and share and try all the things and that's exactly what that was made for and it was it was really expensive like it was so much money it was it was more than I think that we had ever spent on a meal for the two of us before Um, but that was a thing that we had saved up for it was a really special experience which I'm sure also colors my memory of it but um they have this like black cod that is so good it's like candy except I mean it doesn't taste like candy because it's fish but it's (laughs) like it's good and craveable like you know like candy um they've got this crispy rice oh my gosh like it was just incredible it was so good that I actually like I went home and then I ordered the the cookbook thinking like, Oh, I want to make this at home. And you know what? No, I'm not going to make that at home. Like I want to go somewhere where people know what they're doing and have them make it for me and then put it in front of me so I can shove it in my mouth. You were to um, post on this, right? You were to post I on this. I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Cause it was, it was freaking phenomenal. And then the other thing that is just fantastic there is, I mean, obviously like pineapple. So, 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 so good. If you think you like pineapple on the mainland, you might like that, but like what they have, you know, on Maui is beyond. And then you can go to the grocery store and you can just get poke, which I prefer the the tuna poke, but they've got octopus and salmon and other things that I'm forgetting. And it's, it's amazing. It's not horribly expensive, especially compared to a lot of other, like, especially compared to produce in Hawaii. And you can just go to the grocery store and you can get a little I'm making gestures with my hands like that's going to help you guys understand the work I'm trying to come up with Uh, a little container like you would get at the deli for like food that's not raw fish. And then, you know, you just get that and you can take it home and then eat it. And it's amazingly gourmet. And I just would eat it with like a plastic fork out of the thing. (laughs) I probably could have made the presentation a little better, but oh, my gosh, I'm going back in a couple of weeks and I like I am already planning out my um my poke approach like do I go the first day and get it so that I got it for the next day at lunch I think I do I think I do all right so Margot, what's up with you 
So I live in New York, which, I, you know, one of the reasons I love living here, it's not for the weather. Uh, it's not for the, the subways. It's I love it here because of the theater and I love the food. And the food here is just off the chain. It's so good. But recently, a couple, not even recently, it was a couple of years ago, I went to Savannah for the first time. And I was at the Pink House, which is a big deal to go to the Pink House in Savannah. It's this gorgeous Annabella mansion and they cook out of there. And I had fried green tomatoes. That mm-hmm. were and not gluten free, boy. I mean, this is the real thing, which I'd never had before. And I had it under the most amazing circumstances with like really good people. And it was one of the most delicious things ever. Like, I was like, oh, I see why people write about this and they have religion about fried green tomatoes because it is tasty and delicious. And just the whole atmosphere was so incredible. So, I, I love Savannah. That's one of my favorite places. And that's one of my like favorite things. And then we talk about it in the show today. Ireland and you know I don't drink a lot of beer but when I'm in Ireland I have a Guinness or two because they do it right there it tastes different it tastes better there's just something about the atmosphere there and have either one of you ever been to Ireland I have not Oh, you should definitely go one day. I mean, the, the Guinness is great, but it's also just so physically beautiful. And the Cliffs of Moher is like a top 10 place you have to see in your lifetime. If you've ever seen The Princess Bride, yep. they have the Cliffs of Insanity. That's actually the Cliffs of Moher. That's where they filmed it. And it's just one of the most amazing experiences of your life. And you should definitely, both of you need to check it out sometime before you die. Okay. <laughs> On my did you field trip. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So uh, I guess we just go into this interview today with Lori. Sounds great. Did you know that being more active at work, like standing more and sitting less, can help improve your health, reduce back pain, boost energy, and increase both your metabolism and your productivity? True story. And our favorite way to get those benefits is with Veridesk. See for yourself at veridesk.com. That's V-A-R-I desk.com. Lori Rice is a photographer, writer, and nutritional scientist based in California's Central Valley. Over a decade ago in a beer garden in Vienna, she found a passion for travel, food culture, and well-crafted beer, which led to the publication of her cookbook, Food on Tap, Cooking with Craft Beer. When she's not writing about the science of food and drink and photographing the process, Lori can be found traveling with her husband to investigate all things food and beer in the U.S. and abroad. Welcome to the show, Lori. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today. This is FBG Margo, and on the line today we have FBG Jen. Hi. And we have FBG Kristen. Hello. And I get to ask you the first question. I'm really excited about this. So you have a new book out right now, Food on Tap, Cooking with Craft Beer. Can you please tell our listeners a little bit about what they can expect from it? So this book uh, takes using beer and cooking and kind of introduces using new styles away from just your standard beer can chicken and stout chocolate cake. And uh, it incorporates the it into everything from appetizers to a salad, salad dressings, and desserts. It's beautiful. Like, I have a copy. I flipped through it. I don't know if you'll be, yeah, I don't know if you'll be able to answer this, but do you have one recipe that, like, stands out as kind of, like, your favorite from the book? I do, actually. Uh, there's a couple, but the main one that I make pretty much all the time are the holiday ale cutout cookies. Mm. And in the book, I structured it so it would be a holiday recipe, but really you can do it any time of year. 
and the beer in it is reduced down. So it's it's kind of, you take a 12 ounce beer, it reduces down to about, I think it's a, a one and a half ounces. So that acts as the flavoring for the cookies. And then um, it's a nice, thick, easy to roll out dough. So you can cut it out in any shape that you want. And then it has citrus flavors in it. Yum. Well, that sounds awesome. So Lori, I, I'm also a bit of a craft beer enthusiast, I think you could say. And so I'm curious, like, I I know that IPAs are still huge pretty much everywhere, but I'm also noticing that sours seem to be coming, to be becoming really popular. So I'm wondering, like, in your research for this book and, you know, as you were developing recipes, did you notice any other craft beer trends that maybe we should watch for? Or are there any, you know, is there anything regarding some of the craft beer trends that you think translates really directly to cooking? Well, as far as new trends, I t- completely agree about the sours. That's definitely a growing trend. And then also uh, sour type beers, uh, in addition to the American wild ales, like the gosas and different things like that, that have yes. that uh, tart kind of salty quality. Um, those are, those are growing for sure. I think that IPAs are always going to stick around, but I think, also that some more traditional beer styles are gaining some greater respect like cream ales and brown ales and those kinds of things Um, i'm not sure if they're going to reach the popularity that ipa is maintaining right now Um, but they've been around for a long time and there's a lot of breweries that are doing them really really well Um, and then now the second question you mean with you asked with cooking right yeah yeah if any of those specific trends if you see a you know a direct correlation or anything that would be good to know kind of about how those translate into cooking or baking. Sure. Yeah. I'm finding that. And I actually just wrote an article about this interviewing some chefs around the country, uh, pastry chefs who are using a lot more beers and desserts. And that seems to be a trend in restaurants, especially in beer heavy cities, uh, you know, in states like Colorado and North Carolina and California as well. But they're they're kind of, as I mentioned before, like moving away from the stout and like the stout chocolate cake. And they're finding ways to incorporate like the citrus of IPAs and lemon bars and um, the kind of the peppery notes of saisons and, and and white and white beers into dessert sauces, popovers, just all kinds of really interesting things and desserts. Hmm. So you also run your own Beer 101 course online for those looking to up their brew knowledge. So can you tell us a bit like your background? Like, How did you become a craft beer expert? So it, it was really a personal passion at first. So I have a background, my uh, education in nutritional sciences. So that kind of laid the the foundation for food science and cooking for me. And then I have a huge love of travel. And so beer is very much a cultural thing for me. My husband and I really got interested in it when we started traveling to Germany and Austria. And so we we really got engrossed in the culture and where beer really came from, um, as well as some of the historic things with monks and different things like that uh, with brewing beer. And so that those two paths, that interest in travel culture, as well as the science side of it kind of just blended together. And then uh, just really become interested in different types of styles, bringing those styles from other countries to the US. And then the brewery community is the brewing community is just a really fun one to be a part of. And in a lot of my writing, I get to interview brewers, and it's just a great so that's really kind of motivated me to, to stick with it and dig a little bit deeper. 
awesome. I love um, I love the way you see travel and you know in food and beer as being so related. So I'd love to know what your favorite place or you know top two or three places are to visit, and maybe more importantly, what do you eat and drink when you're there? So if, if you're if we're talking just uh, beer related. Let's see. So my favorite country in the world is Vienna still. I've been back a few times now and they have a couple spots. They have an outdoor beer garden that's open in the summer called uh, Schweizer House. And then they have a small brewery called Ottakringer. And those two places are just, they're just a lot of fun. I go traditional German style food when I'm there. (laughs) We love sausages and dumplings and all of that kind of stuff. We, we do a lot of walking everywhere, so it balances itself out. But um, the second place, and it's still in that region, we we went to Munich and enjoying the beer gardens there. It's just a completely just a completely different culture than anything that is in the U.S. People try to replicate it, but you just can't. Just an afternoon sitting in a beer garden by the water um, with no other goal but to enjoy company and to enjoy the beer and food. It's just really different. Uh, and then it kind of comes into play, too, with uh, our trips to Christmas markets in the same regions. Christmas markets in Berlin, they do a lot of warm beers and kind of fruit-flavored beers like cherry and things around the holidays. And those are really, really fun thing to experience as well. So I have had moments – I'm gluten-free, so I don't really drink beer anymore, but – which is sad, but I remember having like aha moments with beer and I've had them with wine where you just, you taste something and it's almost like, I I don't know, you like almost go somewhere else. Like you didn't realize that was even a place you could go with, with a flavor or a taste or an experience or a mouthfeel or something. Mm -hmm. Do you have like any sort of, do you have like a moment or a couple moments like that where you could talk about, you know, where you tasted a specific beer and it kind of just like, I hate to say change your life, but kind of changed your life. <laughs> uh, let's see. I mean, I think definitely in the beginning when we started traveling, those spots that I said in in like Vienna and trying the beers that are much more traditional styles there, those kinds of moments stick out in my mind. But another one is having a Guinness in Ireland. There's nothing like it in there's there are steps that they take to protect the the integrity of the beer in Ireland that aren't done in the U.S. and the flavors and things like that. That there's it, it tastes not, it's not the same. So um, if you want a real Guinness, and if you, even if you don't like Guinness in the U.S., go have one in, in Dublin or another another city in Ireland, and it's completely different and delicious. <laughs> mm podcast field trip yeah I know I was just gonna say I, I've, I've done that before I've been in Ireland I've had Guinness there and it's like there's just nothing else to compare it to you just can't even mm-hmm. have it in the U.S. I don't think mm-hmm. so what are your favorite craft beer and food pairings so for pairings I really like to have I think one types of beer that pairs really well are the bourbon barrel aged and even though they, you know, they stay in that kind of traditional stout category usually, or a porter or something like that, they do pair really well well with desserts and caramel. Uh, you, you just having a little bit of that in the dessert, I think, goes really well together. Let's see, what are some other pairings? I'm one of those people that. I don't feel like beer has a lot of limits when pairing it with food. Like if you compare it to something like wine. 
there are some things that you have with wine that will pull out the acidity of the wine or uh, something to that effect. We're like, whoa, this, this does not go very well together. Beer is much more versatile. I mean, there's many more uses for it. You can find aspects of, you know, an IPA that will, you know, match something that has a note of citrus in it that's kind of unexpected. I like to have saisons are really good with spicier foods. I haven't tried it yet, but I've had a recommendation from a brewer that sours are really good with gamey meats. So, I mean, those are just a few. What about the holidays? Like, do you have any, like if you're serving like a traditional holiday meal, are, are there any like beers or wines that you're just like, yep, that's a go-to winner. Like that's, everyone's going to like that. Yeah, I, I tend to lean towards Belgian styles, like strong ales, ales and different things like that. Saisons as well. I think that there's, there's a quality in them that pairs well with, with richer foods and holiday type foods. Plus they, they often have a little bit of a spice character to them. And so that kind of, but it's not sweet at all. So that kind of blends as well. When you are creating a recipe and working beer into it, I'm just thinking of this from like, if, if I'm listening to this and I'm like, oh yeah, I totally want to check out your book. And then also I have these other recipes where I'm wondering if I could incorporate beer in those in some way. Um, do you have any tips for using beer in your cooking or your baking if you kind of want to experiment with something that you already know you love? Sure. I think the first thing that you want to look at is the liquid content in the recipe. So as an example, is it a soup? Is it a stew? What kind of liquid are you adding? Are you adding stock? Are you adding water? And then you want to look at how long is it going to be cooking? Because the, the longer it cooks, it's not really an issue of alcohol burning out, but it's, it's, it's an issue of the flavor changing. So flavor changes at high temperatures or longer lengths of time. So the, your best bet is to start with more uh, lightly flavored beers if you're not sure how, how it's going to taste in those that have a lower hot pro- profile, like a brown ale or maybe a cream ale or something along those lines, as opposed to starting with something like an IPA, because flavors can really change an IPA. They can turn bitter. It's not always a bad thing. And then another thing, if you're if you're looking at baking, you want to look at the leavening. Does it need leavening? Uh, beer can help out with that. It may not be able to take the place of something like yeast, but you can use beer as, as your liquid source in that. So I would look at it's simple recipes with simple flavors to start out with. And, and then go from there. So let's say you're new to craft beer. You're listening to this episode for the first time. One of our listeners out there is like, oh, this sounds really interesting and exciting. So they decide they're going to take in a little craft beer. What questions should they ask when they're ordering their first craft beer? What should they be asking? First, start with the, the flavor notes and make sure that it's something that, that is appealing to you. But then also don't let that keep you from trying a beer. Uh, You might want to ask about the bitterness. Most people, I I feel like IPA is still a very, very much an acquired taste. And I know a lot of people who are beer lovers who don't like IPAs because of them being bitter and so hoppy. So a lot of times if you are talking to a beer server or brewer, that's the first thing they're going to ask is if you like bitter or hoppy beers. Uh, so getting those those flavor notes, and then you, you might want to ask how heavy it is in the sense of how high the alcohol content is, because that's going to change 
you know, something that's a little bit uh, richer and more syrupy, whether or versus a beer that's for, you know, afternoon drinking, that's lighter alcohol and that kind of thing. So you kind of kind of got to know what your your environment, what you're wanting to do. Um, if you're wanting to sit all day afternoon, all afternoon drinking beer with friends, you don't really want to start with a 12% barrel age, even though it's pretty, right. pretty tasty. So uh, just some, some basic questions like that. Yeah. So I have been drinking, um, usually when we I actually go out to a decent number of, for being gluten-free, a decent number of beer bars. And the ciders, the ciders that are coming out, I think, have just been like, oh my gosh. It used to be like you had a couple ciders to choose from and they were sweet. And now there's dry ones and there's hopped ones. And I had one that had like Pinot Grigio in it. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and then I saw a, a can of wine that was hopped. And I was like, oh my God, my mind is being blown. I've seen fermented ciders, kombucha with cider. What trends are you seeing there? And I guess, like, I don't know, like, how do you feel about pairing all that stuff with food? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, the same kind of trends. I do a bit of cider writing as well uh, for Cider Craft Magazine. And so that's introduced me to a lot of trends around the U.S. And I think there's there's two things that are driving it. I think for some people, the, the, the gluten-free aspect of it is driving it a bit, but I think it's more just cideries are wanting to adopt the traditions of England and France and that type of thing and bring those ciders back over to the U.S., those styles. And then we're also seeing a growth in orchards that were once, you know, not necessarily destroyed, but closed down for eating apples so people would buy retail apples we're now seeing those heirloom varieties and those cider varieties starting to be grown again because of the rise in the demand for cider so it's really kind of exciting both in in food and agriculture and so i'm seeing a lot of that as well not only just the straight uh different like straight up cider you know just as it is but like you were saying there's barrel aged and there's hopped uh, I just went to a cidery in new, outside of New York in, in, the, in the rural areas, and they were doing raw cider, which I've never heard of, oh. uh, which is actually just, it's kind of a palate cleanser. There's no residual sugars and there's no carbonation. So it's just this really tart uh, cider. So there's these really interesting things that most, most people in the States haven't heard of unless you've done some, some traveling, sp- cider-specific traveling around the world. So those things are starting to show up and that's, it's really exciting. They pair well with food courses because they're light, they're kind of refreshing. So they're good with heavier foods and cheese courses and those kinds of things. Yeah. Okay. Real talk. How much does it matter? What kind of a glass you're drinking your different types of beer from? That's a good question. I I do. It it does matter. It, It matters with the way that the air hits the beer, how it can, uh, how the flavors will come out. I think what matters more than the type of glass for me is the temperature. So a lot of people, a lot of things like stouts and things like that, you'll, you'll get them in the, you know, tulip glasses. And that's, that's definitely the proper way to serve it. But I like to do a lot of taster glasses. So when my husband and I have friends over, we'll, you know, taste a bottle and we're not so much worried about 
like having a small taster glass that's the right shape as we are making sure that the beer is the right temperature. So you want those darker barrel aged beers to actually warm up just a little bit so that and you and if you try beers at two different temperatures, the same beer like that, you will notice huge flavor differences once it warms up a little bit. So the glass thing is definitely legit and it's fun to have, you know, different glasses for tastings. But I think temperature is a, a much more uh, pertinent issue. I know people are kind of like, oh, because you're also, you know, you have a food blog. You have fake food free. And sometimes people are like, oh, food blogging, you know, you just make a recipe and you take some photos. <laughs> and, you know, it's no big deal. It's really fun. And it is really fun. But can you talk a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes, um, what goes on behind the scenes for creating the recipe, getting the perfect shot, and just, I mean, how much effort and love and creativity is, is put behind that? Yeah, I think that if you, if I'm, if I know that I'm going to photograph a food and not just making a recipe, but that's the first thing that comes into my mind whenever I'm developing the recipe, because you have to make sure like there are tactics to make any kind of food pretty, but some foods are much, much harder to make prettier, pretty than others. Um, so that comes to mind for me. I'm constantly gathering ideas everywhere that I go. And some of them just kind of come to me in the kitchen. I'm modifying things just like we talked about, like adding beer to things that you already do. So I write the recipe as I'm testing in them. So uh, I, I have an idea of what kind of ingredients that I want to, that I want to use in it. So I, I get those and then I may or may not use those as I'm going along and tasting and, and making that kind of thing. So then after you make the recipe, there's a, you know, you may be testing it more later, but I usually, if I get a good result the first time, I'm going to photograph that one so that I have the photo. If things change later, I'll photograph it again. Yeah. So uh, then photograph setup. I have a studio in my home that's next to the kitchen. So uh, I, I'm a natural light food photographer. So that means that things change and I find that to be a very good thing. Uh, I control the light as best that I can but a, a shot at nine may not look like a shot at three. And I, I like that. <laughs> so I'm um, going to use that light source. Think about the styling. Um, if it's something for me, I just, I just go with what my vision is as far as props and, and different things on the shot. Uh, so a lot of times I'm shooting for clients, so they know what they want. So there are things that I have to use or that I shouldn't use. Some don't like a lot of propping. Some like a lot of propping. Uh, and colors and prints uh, come into consideration. So then I, I do the shot and then I write up the recipe. So um, that's my least favorite part is actually typing up the recipe. <laughs> and um, I have people recommend that, oh, have, you know, a VA do that or something. And I, <laughs> but then I, but then I think, but then my notes would have to be much better for someone else to understand. <laughs> so there's really no solution to that problem. I have to do it. <laughs> so how many hours do you think you spend on a typical recipe? From like start to finish. I'm sure it varies greatly, but. Yeah, but at least uh, if you take in planning, shopping, it's it's uh, eight to 12 hours for sure. It's like a day and a half. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah that's one of those things where everybody's like, maybe you could just make it and shoot it really quickly. <laughs> and I'll give you X amount of dollars and you think, well. <laughs> and then sometimes you have a great idea. And I mean, I know I've had this where I was like, wow, that was a lot better in my head than. <laughs> yeah, that happens. Wow. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So Lori, I want to talk a little bit about 
how you pair haha your you know your love of food and cooking and beer and tasting with your background in like exercise and nutritional sciences because I can see where um, and you're a runner too, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I know that a lot of people struggle with the idea of kind of approaching this healthy balance of like really good food and enjoying it and the, all the good beer and then staying fit and healthy. Um, right. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on how you make that work for you. So uh, I spent the first part of my career in nutrition and exercise kind of community program development and helping other people stay healthy by uh lots of writings and fact sheets and, and, um, exercise programs like check off, you know, how much exercise you've done each day and that kind of thing. And, um, and then my, pretty much my entire life I've struggled with my weight. And I don't know if that's why I went into nutrition and exercise or not, but I mean, that remains a a challenge into adulthood to the point where I, I've, it's always going to be a problem. I've completely accepted that. So after years of counting calories and doing just about every phase that, you know, popular weight loss culture has gone through, I kind of just let it go. (laughs) And in the sense that I think eating healthy foods, but then also there's a mental wellness about eating foods that may not be termed healthy in the sense that they're wholesome and homemade and fresh and delicious, but they might have cheese or whatever in them. Um, there's a mental wellness there, uh, you know, about, you know, remembering a dish from your childhood or a dish, you know, a certain place that you traveled that I think comes into play. So it's about finding a balance between you know, all those fruits and vegetables that I need and those nutrients, and then not feeling any guilt at all when I eat things that the media tells me aren't healthy or current research tells me aren't healthy. So I, it's a funny thing in the book is that I, I recently had a friend review it and she actually brought out those notes of there's things in the book and I've used beer and there's recipes that would be considered indulgent, but I've managed to find a way to put like greens or beans or something in it. And I don't even realize that I do that, but other people recognize that about me. And that comes from my nutrition background. Mm. So it's combining the health with the deliciousness. Um, and so I started running and I hated running like everyone, <laughs> everyone that tells me, Oh, I hate running. My knees hurt. And I'm like, Hey, me too. <laughs> and I run a marathon and many half marathons, but I started running. We were living abroad in Brazil, uh, just because I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. And now I run not because I, I, I'm, no, I'm never going to be one of those people's people where it's easy or it's, um, I go out and I'm like, I, I want to run so bad. I, I'll never be one of those people. It's an empowering thing for me whenever I cross the finish line and I realize that I could do something that I didn't think that I could or was cut out for or whatever, however you want to put it. So that's what keeps me going with running. And it's one of the only activities that helps me control my weight. I used to teach group exercise, you know, get up at the 530, teach spinning and all that fun stuff uh, for a long time. And I've been in gym since I was 13. Personal training, I have had all those kinds of backgrounds, whether it was in school as internships and things or, you know, side jobs. 
And now I just, I like to run. I have a spin bike at home and I prefer an active lifestyle versus an exercise regimen. I mean, running is a little bit different. I have to be on a training program to accomplish the goals. But um, as far as making, checking off, getting 30 minutes every day, that's just not how I work anymore. Yeah. So much just that mindset, you know, like similar to what you're talking about with the, with the food, you know, it's like, there's a, there's a very different energy when you're like, I'm going to go run because I need to burn off what I ate versus I'm going to go run because that makes me feel accomplished and awesome and confident and I'm taking care of myself. Yeah. Yep. That's what we all about girl. (laughs) (laughs) And I won't say that like, sometimes it's, uh, it, you know, it, it, it goes up and down. I think everybody's like that with how healthy they're being or what their weight is or all kinds of things. Cause we, my husband and I lived in the Bay area for three years mm-hmm. and it was extremely easy to be healthy. And I was probably at my lowest weight running a lot. And we since moved to the central Valley, which, um, there are opportunities to be here to be active, but in the summers we hit, you know, 105, 110, uh, or 110 on a regular basis with temperatures in the summer. And I, I simply cannot run. I can't like, <laughs> I can try to get up at four 30, but it's just too hot. So yeah. we've had to, I, I figured out, well, now I have the spin bike and maybe in the summer, I'm going to carry a little extra weight than I am in the winter. And that's just, you know, that's kind of how it's going to be. I'm going to try to find the balance that I can, but we've, it's been a, took about a year for it to take effect for us that we've had to kind of find ways to incorporate activity that came really naturally, um, you know, given our, our past environment. So it's, uh, it's ever changing. So now that the, the book is in existence, the book is done. Mm-hmm. What is, what is next for you? You got a, you got a race coming up or another project or, or are you just kind of enjoying, enjoying life? <laughs> yeah. Um, so all of those things, but, um, yeah, uh, as work wise, I, I continue, I do a lot of freelance writing. I do recipe development photography for brands and, um, ag organizations. So I continue that. I just finished my second book proposal. So I'm hoping to, uh, that, that will get picked up. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, as far as fitness goes, we're entering the time of year here where I absolutely love it and it's cool and we don't get snow, but we actually have winter temperatures. So I take advantage of it as much as I can. So I'm getting back into my running routine and I turn 40 next year mm-hmm. and I knew that I needed to do something. I just needed to do something. And I, I mean, we travel all the time, so I can't be like, Hey, I'm going to go here because <laughs> it's kind of, you do that. So I signed up for my first ultra, which is going to be in April. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, I, it's one of those things where when I started, I like road running, but when I started trail running, uh, I really just totally invigorated. Like I just loved it. Uh, and unfortunately there's a lot more trail running in the Bay than there is here, even though we have national parks where I'm at, there's just not a lot of trail running, but I love the idea of the lack of pressure that you have to run the whole thing Yeah, myself. Like if I don't run the whole thing, well, I really didn't run it. And that's, yeah, that's just me. But anyway, the idea of having a race where people are like, really, you have to walk it to complete some of it, (laughs) to complete (laughs) it. Even though it's super long is really appealing to me to let some of the pressure off. So I've always been intrigued by the idea of an ultra. Um, and so we're, we're going to give it a shot. 
That's awesome. That is so awesome. <laughs> Good luck. You'll have to let us know how that goes. I will. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Margo, you want to wrap it up with our our final bombshell of a question? I oh. would love to. So, Lori, are you ready? <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's the final question we ask this of every guest of the show. Okay. What was the last song you listened to before you did this podcast interview? Uh, so, <laughs> you'll love this. It was a Christmas song. Yay! Oh. Yeah, because I'm one of those people that loves to extend the holiday season. <laughs> Same here. Yeah. And so, um, let's see. So it was one of uh, Michael Bublé's songs, and I'm not going to remember the name of it, but I love his Christmas album. Do you want to sing it for us? No, no. Oh. I, 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 I do not consider... I like to think I have a few talents, but uh, music is not one of them, or singing. <laughs> pairs well with Michael Bublé Christmas music. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah. You know, it's early November that we're recording this, and you guys, I have a friend who has a Christmas tree up in her basement. <laughs> she is such a Christmas enthusiast. She can't wait, at, like, the day after Halloween, she got it up there. So there's people even crazier than us. Yeah, my, my husband and I are in negotiations right now as to when I can start putting things up. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, nothing is up just yet, but I'm I'm just waiting. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was really fun talking thank, to you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Love this show? Tell us why in a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it on the air. Also, make sure you are a subscriber. If you want to reach out to say hi or have a question about a recent episode, yay, well, feel free to email us at podcast at fitbottomgirls.com. And if this podcast jives perfectly with your brand, consider sponsoring the show. Get more info by emailing advertising at fitbottomgirls.com. Find all kinds of Fit Bottom goodness online and on social media at Fit Bottom Girls, Fit Bottom Mamas, Fit Bottom Eats, and Fit Bottom Zen. And if books and movies are your thing, check out the other podcast I co-host called Book vs. Movie, which you can find anywhere where you search for podcasts. Thanks for listening.